Hello, welcome to Man Baggage. This is Russell Kane, and it's a special episode sponsored by Eon Next, the energy provider powering space for change in a mission to tackle eco-anxiety. That is not just a sponsorship line, that is actually a subject we're going to delve into. It's something that I'm passionate about, something I'm interested in, something I've wanted to do an episode about for a long time. I'm so excited that I'm expelling more carbon dioxide as I describe that excitement, ironically, because a normal link would have been 30% shorter. So by encouraging myself to be enthusiastic about eco-anxiety, I have become part of the problem and cancelled myself. <laughs> so we're going to take a slightly different approach on this week, just to give me the opportunity to drill down into the topic that Eon Next are leading the way on. It's a topic that impacts more than just men and women, although I do want to go into the gender divide and how people think about eco-anxiety. But what is eco-anxiety? It's something we've probably all felt at one point or another. It's just that we've got a label for it. Eco-anxiety is, oh my God, what are we going to do about the environment? I'm having a panic attack, broadly speaking. I wouldn't dream of doing this with just me and Lindsay, even though that's enough hot air for everyone. I'm just going to carry on now, isn't it, for the whole... (laughs) All I need to do now is let out a massive fart and collapse the whole environment of the room I'm in. But I have got a guest today who's not just a comedian that I've worked with before, not just a very funny person, not just a doctor, not just a winning guest, quite literally in name and in skill, Dr. Matt Winning, but he's a PhD genius in this area. And so Dr. Matt Winning, welcome to Man Baggage. How are you? I am very well, Russell. How are you doing? I can't believe Eon Next have set me up with such a banging guest. I mean, we probably worked together about 10 years ago and it was on a podcast, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I basically used to do comedy that was like, you know, like you, funny about life. I now only do comedy about climate change, so it's it's quite a, quite a switch. And is it ironic if the atmosphere doesn't shift in your favour once you're on stage? Indeed, it very <laughs> much is. <laughs> do you have to offset the gig by headbutting the wall in the dressing room afterwards? <laughs> That's an emotional carbon offset where you sort of stab yourself with a compass after a gig. Many a time I've done that. Am I right in that you've got a PhD in climate change policy and you're also, as well as being a professional funny person, an active researcher at the UCL Institute for Sustainable Things? Is that the right name? Yeah, Sustainable Resources. Correct, I am. I, I've just come from there and I'm, I'm here now and I'm sort of like a weird climate change Batman. You know, I've got that sort of day job where I'm serious and then at night I go out and I ruin criminals' evenings by... <laughs> doing comedy about climate change it's a weird combo it's a bit of a weird combo but i sort of i've made it work over quite a long time now and i feel like we need more humor yeah when we talk about climate change and that's why i'm obviously ha- very happy to come on your podcast i love the idea of a climate change batman i'm assuming the bat signal is solar powered by day so that it can it be projected be. Yeah, in a yeah, carbon yeah. neutral At way night. in the evening <laughs> yeah yeah it's a great niche <laughs> i know it is isn't it so if you're doing a 20 minute set at the comedy store it's fully climate change comedy well, if the comedy store were willing to book that, then I would do. But yeah, I do. I basically go out and just do that now. Uh, events and like shows around the country and whatever. Um, it's been like five years now or so that I haven't really done any other comedy that is about something else. And I really miss it, which is always nice. It's always great to talk to other comedians because I spend my time just talking about climate change in my day job and now in my evening job as well. Very briefly, for idiots like me, what does that include, being an active researcher at the Institute for Sustainable Resources? What are you doing? You're working out the best type of bin bag or the impact of an electric car, or what is it you do on a daily basis? 
That's a very good question. So we advise the government on how to basically solve climate change. So we're like, this is how much wind you're going to need. This is how much solar panels you're going to need if you want to achieve this goal or if you want to do this by this date. So we build like the really technical models behind that and sort of advise about policy. At the moment, I'm looking at the steel industry, for instance, and how we make the steel industry much cleaner in the UK and also around the world. Stuff like that. So it's basically solving climate change. So I'm not like one of the kind of hardcore scientists who's like out in the Arctic. I'm just a boring guy in front of a computer being like thinking about the future. I would have had you as an environmental Poirot by day and a Batman by night. <laughs> yeah, that's much better, actually. And, and Poirot, yeah, I can get away with a moustache if I call myself that. <laughs> so um, I don't like generation. I don't like any types of divides. I'm a comedian. I'm all about unity. But I can always remember my dad sadly not with us anymore but he's was sort of could not get his head around any negative impact of climate change whatsoever he's like we'll have the barbecue out in april boy stop whinging which is kind of like celebrating weight loss because you've got a wasting illness which is how i exactly. try to, tried to explain <laughs> exactly. i can fit into my trousers oh wait a minute i'll be gone in six months um <laughs> but we will notice with anyone well it's not not fair really anyone from the age of about my daughter's age seven who's already talking about those things all the way up to sort of engaged 90 year olds like my granddad 91 we've got this phrase eco-anxiety which is people starting to move from thinking in a Poirot-esque way about the environment into having anxiety to being emotionally disturbed about it and I thought you'd be a brilliant person to talk to about how you manage your own eco-anxiety as we're calling it and any suggestions on how we could improve in this area there might be younger people listening to this there might be someone in their 80s guilt tripping themselves about their bimmer life that they've enjoyed what strategies have you employed oh very good question you know eco-anxiety is probably quite similar to what a lot of slightly older people not you and i but you know sort of generation above us that had sort of that nuclear armageddon thing in the 80s when everyone was really worried about that it's a really similar sort of thing it's like this kind of existential dread about a massive global potential thing that's going to affect your life and so we've kind of seen it before a little bit and now obviously it's affecting everybody because we were you know seeing it on a daily basis and i think it was easier a decade ago when we weren't seeing the impacts of climate change as much but now it's sort of beginning to hit home Basically, people look out their windows or walk outside and are like, oh, yeah, this is different. And so obviously that begins to sort of creep into like, OK, thinking about that and what does that mean? And how, you know, change is, is scary at the best of times without like basically everything that we've ever known and lived in changing. So how do you cope with that? It is a very, very good question. I'm an expert in looking at stuff and trying to solve it, but I'm not an expert at coping. So all I can really do is talk about like mm. how do I cope with it? Maybe that is a way of coping. I mean, we've just had a thing this morning, haven't we, Lynn? So our daughter's unwell. We thought it was a cold and we've ended up having to go to an emergency appointment. And then we were packing oh, no. in case we had to go to hospital. And you see, that is my coping mechanism, isn't it, Lynn? I, I go into the mechanical, I'm on Google, Google yeah. rashes. I'm looking at what hospitals, we're researching which casualty is best. For some people, Lynn, that is a coping mechanism, is to immerse yourself in, in the science and what we might do, right? The detail, yeah. I think I, I remain quite calm in the situations. you just got to try and process, right, okay, well, there's nothing, if we can't control it, how do we deal with it right here and now? What are the things that we, what are the things that we can do to sort of help? So there's no point of, if you're getting stressed and 
start getting well the anxiety and things like that it's not going to help the situation by being like that so you've got to remain calm and just I suppose just do a bit of research that's how I deal with things on a day-to-day anyway. It's been rising rapidly in recent years though hasn't it I mean especially amongst the younger types or Gen Z as I mean I feel sorry for the next generation because Gen Z have used the last available letter and some people will be old enough to remember the number plates running out and it was really scary. I remember seeing an X-Reg on a comms like, what, what is going to happen next? Yeah, it's scary. That's scary. Yeah, so Gen Z or, or younger people seem to be disproportionately affected. But I'm going to, I'm going to ask a controversial question here. It's not leading. It's not like it's something I believe. But someone said to me once, because obviously man baggage is talking about different issues all the time. It could be body dysmorphia, it could be whatever. And there are some cynical people that say that talking about stuff more has a causative effect on anxiety. My lot say talking about stuff dispels anxiety. So if we take, for example, mind you, I don't know why I'm trying to think of an even more inflammatory example to get in even more trouble. But talking about ADHD, for example, to borrow from a completely different world, seems to have produced amongst my friends just as many brilliantly engaged people who have solved the fact they've got ADHD and got diagnosed, as well as lots of other Dr. Google people just who seem to like the sound of ADHD. So is there a risk that if we all go, what's your anger? Have you got eco-anxiety? What's eco-anxiety? I don't know. Oh my God, I have got it. How anxious is Is there a relationship between too much talking about eco-anxiety and branding it as anxiety and possibly making people think they're anxious and then you've got, you know, like a negative news spiral where people are worried about things they weren't worried about before. I mean, there's no correct answer here. It's a very good question. I don't think there, and as you say, there isn't a right answer at all to that. I think... Well, it's understanding what anxiety is and how, if it's debilitating, you know, if you actually literally can't get out your bed, then yes, you have eco-anxiety. But if you just are, you know, worried about it and have low levels of panicked occasionally about it, I do that. It's a very normal response to what is happening, which is, a you know, a sort of massive global crisis. So it's knowing that and then knowing how to respond to it. But, you know, it's the levels, the different levels there, you know. And But is talking about it making it worse? I don't think... Silence has not helped anything. No. The only reason I mention it is it seems to be a particularly virulent substrata of it's all rubbish that's coming through on social media. Not just, I'm not talking about climate change sceptics. I'm talking about people that think that talking about mental health is making mental health worse. It sounds absurd and like something out of George Orwell, but there are people that believe that. It's interesting that it's rising so rapidly and it's rising rapidly amongst young people, probably because they've got the most skin in the game. They think they're going to be the most affected. Yeah. And and so there's other kind of research and it's all very early research. So I don't think we can claim there's like definitive answers to any of this yet, but there's a lot of stuff out there about potentially young people experience it more because they're going through this at a time in their life where their brains are still developing. You're still working out who you are and the idea of change and the idea of right and wrong, you're, you're experiencing all of that as a young person. And so, of course, it's going to affect them more because they're at the time of their life where that sort of thing affects you more. And it doesn't mean that they're wrong. They're, they're right to be feeling that at that time. And it, it's, you know, much older people or people, you know, at different stages of life maybe don't feel it as much. But that's because, again, they're not right or wrong, but they're brains are set in a way where they just sort of filter out that sort of stuff and we don't worry about it and that sort of thing so it's kind of generational i imagine 
partly you're right it's sort of skin in the game where you are in your life and it's also sort of you know developmental and that yeah, sort of thing yeah. we think i mean i don't know for sure well it's a look across the board particularly with men men get to a certain age and whatever hairstyle they've gone with when they're about 30 whatever music they've gone with that's it it's side parting and cold play till you die so certainly with blokes they go yep that's it i'm gonna just watch sing and be like that till i get to the nursing home and I, i've hit that level <laughs> now but do you think that it's because obviously on social media we're seeing things daily and you know when you see something like with the recent natural disaster was my daughter was asking me about it and I was Mm. she's like what is it why is it so I was trying to explain it to her and I went on YouTube to see if I could find like a kid-friendly version to explain the plates and all that and so then she was like well what's this what's the whirlpool the thing that happens in this yeah I can't even remember my brain I've not slept all night because my daughter had me up but anyway and then like tornado and hurricanes so we started watching natural disasters and then she was like what's a tsunami and then I started watching the tsunami and I tried to show her a mild version of it because I didn't want to freak her out that's just a wave isn't it sorry a mild tsunami is a wave (laughs) no but you know like a mini one not like you know but but the point is when I started watching videos of it then I was like oh my god and then she was freaking out going, well, if we ever went to Thailand, would that happen to us if we were there? And then so I think when you're seeing things and, yeah. you, and you're directly yeah. impacted, that's where that's... I've never normally been anxious about natural disasters because I don't think we've really... I've not experienced one here in the UK. But then you think, well, what if we were abroad and it happened? And, you know, you start thinking and then getting anxious. It's a good point, isn't it? So we're looking at the rising anxiety. We're saying possibly age, skin in the game, possibly could be developmental. Could it also be more of a propensity to being on social media 24-7? The younger you are, the more apps you're on. You're on the TikToks and all of that, even more. That I mean, even a bell end like me's screen time is probably 26 hours a day. But we know younger people literally living it 24-7. Is there an argument for social media, because of the way the algorithms work, they're more interested in anxiety and anger. It just sells more stuff. I know. I never, ever put a stand-up rant in unless I'm faux outraged. So I know it works. Yeah. Yeah, I imagine that's, I imagine that's right. Because you, you sort of, you know, they didn't have Twitter during the Cold War. But I imagine if they did, it would have been a hell of a lot worse back yeah. then, you know? It probably is just that that sort of thing about yeah the information that you're been overloaded with and been able to see things and like you know more viscerally experience them and seeing other people around the world. So yeah, absolutely, it's a, it's a number of things all sort of culminating at the same time, isn't it? So we've defined helpfully that anxiety is that dangerous feeling when we feel there's nothing we can do about it, that paralyzing feeling. But it's not the case. I mean. For example, Eon Next's own exploring of eco-anxiety in Gen Z report has said that what can help younger people is when they feel like they're doing their bit. Now, we know people are in lots of different economic situations in the United Kingdom, but if a household is able to, surely managing their own CO2 household resources could be a good project for younger people to get involved in if they're economically able to engage with it. It's just one strategy, do you think? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Lindsay's right in what you said is right there, Russell. The only solution really to coping with it is not to, you know, let it debilitate you. It's to learn a bit more and it's predominantly to do something about it. Even if you don't learn loads, doing something is the way to solve that anxiety. It's absolutely it. And that's what I, how I cope with it. 
by going out and you know talking to people and doing shows and like actually communicating it makes me feel much better but there's loads of different ways of doing different stuff about climate change whether that is kind of trying to focus on what your emissions are and what you're doing or from a community level doing stuff or you know going out and voting and all that sort of stuff there's a whole spectrum of things that you could call climate action and it's really just understanding what they are Mm. and working out what you can do you know what can you do best what position are you in in your life and where are you able to help the most and it's just doing something really that is the main thing it's an important distinction isn't it Linz? because i didn't plan to make this distinction but what's becoming apparent Linz, is there's a difference between being super concerned and being anxious let's take it away from eco anxiety for a second make it about whatever anxiety you like maybe think of someone anyone in our family or friends someone who is anxious is probably too anxious to act, right? But someone who's super concerned, say like with the thing that happened with our daughter this morning, if we were so anxious, we just drew the blinds. And we're like, oh, God, just give us some cowpaw. Oh, God, hope it goes away. But yeah. instead of going into anxiety, panic attack, can't leave the house. What if the doctor tells me my daughter is seriously ill? We went to super concerned, immediate action, research. What can we do within our economic level to be engaged with the problem? On this occasion, our daughter being ill. So it's important to know, isn't it, Linz, that eco-anxiety isn't a helpful thing. It's not like, no, oh, great, not. Gen Z are anxious, they're going to change the world. You can become crippled so that you do not act. Where anxiety doesn't equal action, anxiety equals inaction. Well, the only similar thing is is the fear of mortality that I had personally, where it was like when I had the little girl, the little girl, my little girl, <laughs> <Yeah>. um, <laughs> the child, the child, I had an <laughs> overwhelming feeling of I'm going to die, I'm going to die and I've not done what I want to do. Oh, my God. And and then it is sort of like for quite a while, I was like, really, oh, my God, down and. And then I wasn't living, so I'm like, actually, mm. you know, so I'm I'm fearing dying, but then it's stopping me from doing things that I want to do. And then, obviously, the, then, the, then the pandemic happened, and then I'm just like, oh, fuck you, sod this, I just need to live life, you know, to go for it. And that is a brilliant example for us to jump back into eco-anxiety. Yeah. If you're so anxious that you're doing nothing... So what we I think what we can confidently say is that eco-anxiety predicts lower collaborative action. It's very well being you can get concerned, get stimulated, get angry in a safe and consenting way and go out and do stuff. But anxiety can be an issue. So let's talk about our own relationships with eco-anxiety. I don't know if I'm allowed to talk about how I vote on here. I'm a Green Party member, believe it or not. Sort of one on from a hair shirt Corbyn. (laughs) But I've never experienced eco-anxiety. All I've ever experienced is, right, which bins can I use then? Right, what can we do with our household insulation? Right, what's uh, what's the EPG ratings that are all going to change? EPC. EPC, sorry. Are we a C or are we a D? Things like that. Practical. What about you, Linz? Have you ever experienced anxiety about the world, our daughter and and our grandchildren, who hopefully I'll get to meet if I keep in the gym? That's what, on a selfish level or a personal level, that's where my eco-anxiety starts to tingle. I suppose I haven't really thought about it before I had a child. And then, then when you have someone that you're responsible for and then you think, well, what on earth are their kids and grandkids going to experience like when you do go outside and the weather's warm when it should be cold it does make you think oh hang on oh right okay that's climate change and then the the one thing that me and Russ had a discussion actually not too long ago and that blew my mind is that 
you know, like the really hot countries like Middle East and, and in the summer there, like get to 50 degrees. So the other impact, which I never thought about was what happens when it's like that all the year round, which eventually probably will happen. Those people are going to have to move out of those countries. Where are they going to go? You know, so it's, it's I know it's a daft little thing, but it's something that I, wow, I've never actually thought about that. And then that's just one little impact and what about the rest of it? So that's how to engage our Tory eco anxiety people. <laughs> Start fixing it, or they'll arrive here. <laughs> no, no, but, no. But it's a shame if they family for generations have lived somewhere and no, then they're forced out right. because of weather that could have been changed. We could have made changes sooner. Yes, it's both it a liberal and a conservative it's... disaster at the same time. <laughs> exactly. It's the one way to actually get people to agree and stuff. The other way is that climate change is going to affect the price of beer. And it's going to affect the oh, size no. and price of chips. And if everybody can get on board across the entire political spectrum with fixing that, I just I don't know what will. So Falaraki is completely buggered on every level. It's going to be too hot, and I can't afford to get drunk. Yeah. Can I can I just say though, I don't think with this generation it's going to affect that much because we Russell had a gig recently in Zurich and. I went with him and we were like, right, we've got an afternoon free before we have to fly home. Let's go and find a bar. Let's go and find a bar to have a a beer and a nibble. And we couldn't find like the old town. And I I stopped like a youngster. And I was like, oh, I said, you know where it's good to get like a beer and a nibble? And they were like, and like for five minutes, we were just talking to each other. And I was like, how old are you? And they were like, oh, 20. I was like, do you not drink? And they were like, no. And I was like, I was like, oh, I'm British, sorry. Like, because <laughs> it's like, uh, that's, that's what we do back home. But then, you know, I think the younger generation, they don't really drink. <laughs> I've never seen Lindsay have a full David Brent moment, but she was like, so uh, kids, we're looking to, you know, have a bit of a Gen Z drink up. Where's good in town? And they were like, no, we're all tea. We're all teetotal now, Grandma. That's what that's what our lot do. And then, li- and then Lindsay... <laughs> that's what you're doing. And then Lindsay was like, woo, woo, British, guilty as charged. Woo, woo. So I did le- not do legend that. alert, arrest me. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, they're too busy thinking about the flipping environment. That's why. Yeah. So normally on Man Baggage, we try to talk about how things affect men and women and what we can learn about the gender divide from those who identify as men and women. And uh, the only statistic I could find which backs up what I would have instinctively thought was from um, Aston University. And they actually studied the amount of people who came out in the Extinction Rebellion protests in 2019. Now, this is by no means a statistic on who's got eco-anxiety and who hasn't. But if I could have picked a number out of the air, I would have picked 65-35, which was roughly the makeup of the April protest in 2019. Now, I would be willing to bet that if we go into your average household, the girls and the females are 65% more likely to talk about their anxiety. I'm sure the anxiety is 50-50 split. Now, we know from men's mental health that men are seven times more likely in every single mental health category to have more issues. That, sadly, is a fact, particularly suicide. Men are seven times more likely to kill themselves. So it's highly likely we can extrapolate from that, given the Extinction Rebellion stats, that men are suffering their eco-anxiety in silence more. I can't 100% confirm that, but it's highly likely. And I think it's important that we analyse that quickly and work out, can we leverage it in some way? Because sometimes a negative can be leveraged into a positive. What, do you, what are your opinions on that, Dr. Matt? <laughs> it's a good stat. I've also got one from um, 
There was a Swedish study that showed that it basically looked at the emissions from men and women, of single men and women in Sweden, and men had 16% higher emissions than women on average. Because men love farting, isn't it? Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> you know, so if you, you know, not only are men not doing anything about it, not going out and protesting, but they're also worse for the environment. But on an eco-anxiety point, it's highly likely that men are having eco-anxiety unless able to process it or pushing it de- book of mormon style push it down yeah, yeah. hold it in yeah i couldn't see whether or not it's necessarily anxiety but you're 100 percent right that men are probably or the ones that i've encountered in my personal life and professional life probably more likely to i guess deny that it's happening in the sense that not not even just traditional like it's not real or anything like that but it's sort of denial of the existence of it and that it's really you know most of climate change denial is just different levels of that so a lot of people around the world deny climate change in the sense that they think it's real and happening but they just don't think about it and so it's sort of a form of internal denial where you're just like well if i don't think about this maybe it's not happening it holds men back in so many areas i call it ostrich disease even though the ostriches don't actually put their head in the sand but so my dad went from a massive heart attack from a treatable condition testicular cancer one of the most treatable i mean it literally hangs off your body the testicle i can't think of a more treatable easy to catch cancer than a lump on a testicle kills way over what it Mm. should because guess what men find a lump on their testicle it's not happening so across the board men stick their head in the increasingly burning hot sand i'm gonna guess the environment is no exception absolutely i would i would imagine it's definitely seen as sort of something that men don't necessarily talk about that much down the pub i think it's beginning to change i have conversations with my friends now groups of guys talking about how do we solve this and things that would never have happened even five years ago so i think it's beginning to change but i think you're right it's something that men probably either just intentionally don't think about or or unintentionally decide that they you know this isn't part of me isn't part of my Mm. persona or who i am sort of thing so how do we change that i don't know what the i don't necessarily know what the answer is well some things women are just getting right and i just think we need to copy what they're doing i mean Lindsay, in all types of anxiety eco or otherwise there's no doubt about it a collective fight is better than a being an individual paralyzed with anxiety on your own whether it's eco or anything else and Linz, you know what the girls are like as soon as something kicks off as soon as gary's cheated on tracy tracy doesn't sit at home watching netflix on her own sobbing she might for a bit but she's pretty soon on the whatsapp group the prosecco ambulance arrives and the collective fight against tracy's anxiety begins aka women have better mental health outcomes across the board with everything so don't you think Linz, it's important that men get better at working collectively to get rid of their anxiety across the board let alone the environment yeah absolutely I think definitely like you say women you know if anything happens like you'll get annoyed sometimes because I'll be on the phone for like hours to my friends or my cousins and my mom and and it, oh, what could you possibly have left to talk about? And I think that's just <laughs> that's just the way women deal with things. I think it is changing. There's a shift is changing with men. You know, the next generation will be better than the last. I think it's just down to the parents to be like, this is okay to speak. Like my background, my granddad was Ukrainian and went through such a lot of trauma. And my dad grew up never knowing any of the trauma about Ukraine. He only knew about it when I was in school and started learning about the war and things like that. And my granddad started telling me and my dad was like, never knew that in his whole existence, never Mm. knew it. And he just, my granddad didn't want to pass that trauma on to his 
son. So it's interesting how we're sort of slowly changing that by generation. And that's the same with climate change. And I think it probably comes from schools. So our daughter had, uh, they often do things about climate change, recycling, you know, all different things about the ocean and plastics and everything really. And, and that's good to sort of start setting the seed. You know, like when, if we're on holiday and we see plastic in the ocean, we, you know, we get it out and we'll go like plastic hunting to try and get, you know, to just, just little things like that. I think if you can start sowing the seeds young about you can make a change, you can help. I think then when they get to a bit older, they'll, they'll, they'll have it naturally built in them anyway. Absolutely. And then there's one extra benefit of that. You know, there's a study out there that showed that younger people, school kids and stuff are actually really quite effective at changing their parents' minds about climate change or helping to inform their parents. And in particularly younger women and girls are able to affect their dad's opinions around climate change. That's fascinating. So a daughter, an engaged daughter is more likely to have a positive outcome with a disengaged dad. Which is fa- absolutely fascinating. Who runs the world? Girls. Girls. <laughs> and, you know, there was a lot of stuff about the school strikes and stuff that's happening around climate change. And the defence that, for for instance, that, that politicians would say is, you know, they should be in school, they should be learning at this period of life so that they can become engineers or whatever. But the kids that were out striking are nerds that learn about climate change in their spare time. You do not need to worry about them. Yeah. They're absolutely fine. Exactly. So, you know, it's not really it's not really an excuse. It's like going on a Jane Austen appreciation march and everyone shouting Pride and Prejudice and the English teacher going, back in the classroom, this is not helpful. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> it's great. So I was thinking there, though, so one of the things that I'm trying to maybe move into and talk about a bit more over the next kind of coming years is how do we get climate change into kind of topics that people are already interested in. So I'm thinking about men in particular. I'm trying to look at writing a book about climate change in sport, Mm. for instance, because men talk about sport a lot. So maybe that's a way of actually getting conversations about it uh, to start because you, so you have to kind of take it to people where they already are. You can't just be like, men need to talk about this more. You have to go, well, what do men talk about or what are people already interested in? I like that. Beer, chips and football and why the environment might destroy them. With your friends, (laughs) Russ, it would be like a message across like a a boob top or something on a woman that would probably get the message. Not you, I said your friends. What are you suggesting? Breasts affected by environmental change? No, that would get the message across because you would naturally look at that area and they go oh okay you were saying you'd put an eco-anxiety tool on on breasts to make Listen, men feel calmer if it works it works oh my god can we have a moment's silence for the moment feminism died <laughs> listen i'm trying to help my great great grandkids here i'm staying neutral on this one carbon neutral. <laughs> just well we're on sport as well reading football club this year the arms on their shirts are the average global temperature. I think of the world, it's either Reading or the world, but the average global temperature for the last, I think, 100, 150 years. So it's like a way of trying to get the messaging about climate change out to sports audiences. Sort of oh, thing. you're onto something, Lynn. It's the sponsored pita breads on Donna Kebabs. Yeah. The inside temperature of this lamb donor is the same as the Sudan. Think about that, Gary. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, I'm writing jokes here, Matt, because I can't use it. Right, um, I, I just want to remind <laughs> listeners about, because we're talking a lot about anxiety, you've got to make sure people have got the tools they need. Mindfulness, massively helpful for me. I love to take a moment out. I either have a moment in the gym or just sat quietly or a moment in nature if I'm lucky enough to be touring somewhere picturesque. But before we get to that, if you take a peek in your podcasting feed, you'll find a meditation breathwork tutorial soundscape. 
Why? Well, Eon Next have created a brand new podcast feed made up of audio tools you can use next time you feel the eco-anxiety mounting. And we're giving you one today alongside this bonus episode. There are a range of meditations, breathwork tutorials, soundscapes, all designed for you to use if you ever feel the need to step back and calm any mounting anxiety. For more of these resources, just search Power Up for Change in your podcasting app. Anything that forces us to slow down, stop scrolling, stop trying to look at Rihanna's bum when she's on a yacht in the Bahamas is a bonus from me. Thank you so much, Dr. Matt Winning, for joining us today. And thanks to Eon Next for partnering with us as well. Any parting words for us, anyone that might be feeling a bit anxious after this, Matt? Yeah, do something about it. Whatever that is, whatever you find you can do is the best way forward. As long as that's not becoming a climate change comedian, because that's what I do. So just don't do that. Exactly. So (laughs) collective action, unless it's in satire, in which case there can only be one dictatorial supremacy. And that's Dr. Dr. Matt Winning, Commandant in Chief. Remember, you can find a whole range of audio tools that will help you rest and renew by searching Power Up for Change on your podcasting app. Just take a listen to the meditation in your feed right now. Nice little taster waiting for you there. So now you're all powered up and ready to tackle eco-anxiety, we're imagining you might feel like taking action. So search hashtag Power Up for Change or visit eonnext.com forward slash eco-anxiety for more information. Dr. Matt Winning, wife Lindsay Kane, now with Climate Change Branding, written across her areola. Thank you very much. Sorry, I shouldn't have said that sounded awful. Arioli, plural. I've been Russell Kane. Thank you very much. This has been Man Baggage. I'm off for a carbon neutral self-pleasuring session. Goodbye. Goodbye.